Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. I want to talk about looking at things in a brand new way. And we're going to talk today about a miracle that took place. Last week we talked about the cross, Jesus saying, it is finished. What a miracle. And today I want to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, and it's too good to wait till Easter. The resurrection of Jesus. We're in a series that you may believe, and the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 31, has been our overarching verse, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. There's, there's life in believing in Jesus. Real life comes. Now, I have spent a lot of time in cemeteries. I started at a young age going to a cemetery called Mount Sinai, which is right next to Forest Lawn, the Hollywood Hills, of which yesterday uh, they were on fire over there. Barnum Boulevard, Warner Brothers Studio had to be evacuated. That's my old stomping grounds. I grew up over there. And I've been to that cemetery. I've been to Forest Lawn. Uh, in Glendale, where a lot of movie stars have been buried. I've been to cemeteries in Santa Barbara. I've been to the Safe Haven Home of Perpetual Rest Cemetery, whatever that means. That's where people rest in peace. Which, by the way, uh, there's no such thing in the Bible as people resting in peace. <laughs> Just thought I'd tell you that. But we say that all the time. Rip. Somebody dies, rip. We put that on Facebook, rip, R-I-P, rest in peace. But there's also such a thing as figurative cemeteries where situations feel like a dead end. We even use that phrase, it's a dead end. There's, there's no hope here. This is beyond hope. Cemeteries usually don't inspire us. I mean, there's lots of people that spend time in cemeteries. Uh, I can tell you on occasion, I go up to the Lompoc Evergreen Cemetery. My, my parents are buried there, and, and I go up there uh, to just thank God for them. And uh, there's a gentleman who goes to the cemetery who mows the grass around a family member's grave. I'd never gone up to him while his gas mower is going and asked him, why are you manicuring the already manicured lawn? But for some reason, he's, and, and every time I go, he's there every week. Uh, there are other people who put blankets out at the cemetery and have picnics. Some of you are going, what? Yeah, they have picnics. You ought to drive up there and see it. There are some of you have solar lights at night that come on so their loved one can find their way in the night. Uh, there are people who have made monuments. There are uh, whirly gigs. There are, you, you name it. Uh, yesterday when I was there, there were two young people out playing a game of catch right next to a, a grave probably reminiscing about somebody. There's another family that goes up there that opens up the back of their SUV and plays worship music at the cemetery. Now, some of you are going, Pastor B, you know too much about the cemetery. <laughs> yeah, I'm there a lot. I'm there a lot. And I sometimes go there and remember people's uh, funerals that I performed or graveside services. But I also go there, and some of you are going to go, what? I also go there to contemplate my own Mortality. You know, what, you know what Solomon tells us? This is a bizarre, you can look it up in Ecclesiastes. It's really there, I promise. 
it's better for us to go to a house of mourning than it is to go to a house of feasting or a party place. You see, because when you're at the cemetery or you're at a funeral or you're, you're, you're at the mortuary, you're thinking about your own mortality. That's why people come in and they're so quiet. I've actually said good morning to people in here at a funeral. I can't barely get a response because everybody's going, how long will this last? Come on. And, and is he going to talk about my own mortality? I don't want to hear it. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about it today. I'm sorry if you came to church. You're going to hear a little bit about death today. But it's okay because we're going to hear about it in the backdrop of the greatest miracle. I think it's tied for first place with the cross, the resurrection of Jesus. By the way, write this down, would you? Number one, without the death of the res- and, and resurrection of Jesus, there is no Christianity. Without Jesus dying on the cross for us and rising again from the dead for us, there's no reason for Christianity. There's no body of Christ. There's, there's, there's nothing that we can really have our, our hope hinged on for the future without Jesus Christ. Now, I have news for you. Something happened since last Sunday. Did you hear about it? You got older. <laughs> By one week. That's a good thing. Come on. It's a good thing. What we know about Jesus is he could have had options. He could have used his power, his strength, his charisma. He could have hidden in the, the, the hillside with the Essenes. He could have started his own little uh, commune of Jesus' followers. He could have called legions down of, of angels from heaven and had everybody in the Garden of Gethsemane back off. He could have been marching with his cross up to Calvary's hill, and he could have said, you know what? I'm not going for this, but here's what he said. Not my will, but yours be done. He sets aside any questions about his divinity and identity, and he dies alone, deserted, vulnerable. Why? Because he wanted to give his life for you and me. Jesus outloved everyone. Let me say it again. He outloved everyone. For Jesus in the garden had one agenda that superseded the agendas of all others, and it was love. Love would win, love would rule, love would reign. For God so loved the world, he gave his son, and his son so loved you that he died for you, and he did it out of love. It was his choice. It wasn't Pilate's idea. It wasn't Herod's idea. It wasn't Caesar's plan. It wasn't the chief priests. It wasn't the crowds who said, crucify him, crucify him. They didn't get their way. It was Jesus who said, I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord, and I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it back up again. The cross has changed from a symbol of human empire's power into a symbol of the suffering love of God. It was changed from an expression of an ultimate threat into the expression of an ultimate hope. It came in a sense to express the exact opposite of its original purpose, that the power of embraced sacrifice is greater than the power of coercion. And how did this happen? Jesus chose it. He chose to die on it. And after Friday, neither the cross nor the world would be the same. But then on Sunday, we know the story an empty tomb, which told his followers that as they saw Jesus Christ, he was real. It wasn't a hallucination or imagination. They saw a live person, which told them the empty tomb was not a result of body snatching. 
They remember that Jesus said not long ago before he died, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. That's you who believe in Christ. Then he said anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will try to keep it and hold on to it. They began to understand what got released on that first Easter morning was hope. Not hope that life would always turn out well. Not hope that all called uh, who follow Christ would, would never face difficulty or discouragement, literal or figurative cemeteries. But that because of our belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those who follow after the Lord will never die. They'll always live. So I want to go to John 19. It says, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. You, you see, Joseph didn't want Jesus to be discarded and thrown into a pile somewhere or in a shallow grave. He wanted his own family's grave that had not been used before to be used for Jesus. That's how much he revered him. And Joseph is there, a disciple of Jesus, he secretly uh, had, had, had followed Christ because he feared the Jewish leaders of the day. And, and with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. And he was accompanied by a guy named Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he was, too was afraid of his followers. That's why we call him Nick at night, remember? <laughs> and what did they bring? A mixture of myrrh and alloys and 75 pounds of spices. That's a lot of spice. That's a lot of fragrance. That's expensive. But this was in accordance with the Jewish burial custom. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they, they, they laid Jesus there. Now, there's no reason that they'd put stripe, uh, strips of linen and spices on a body that they thought would resurrect in three days. They have no hope that he's going to rise again. Now, we want to commend Joseph and Nicodemus for revering Jesus and honoring him even in death. We know that they are now identified publicly with Jesus. They have nothing to gain here by putting the spices upon his body. But we understand something from the inside. There's no reason that they would embalm him with spices if they thought he was going to rise again from the dead. They had no hope in that. You know what I've met in the last few months? People that have no hope. I've met several. Talked to one yesterday on the phone. Guy lives in Nevada. He's a, a friend of mine. He was talking about his family and situations there, and people have lost hope about their situation. I met somebody else who lost his job. He was guaranteed this job and worked there for quite some time and lost his job. I've also talked to people who are battling cancer. Hope can be sucked out of us just like that, can it? The phone call doesn't come. The invitation, you'll be invited, they said. You didn't get the invitation. Ouch. That hurts. 
Or your, your best friend says, I'm really busy. We, we don't have any time to hang. And, and you go to Walmart, you see them hanging out with all their friends. Looking for a sale. They got no time for you, but they're hanging out with their friends. Ouch, ouch, ouch. But we see in Matthew 27 that the rich man came from Arimathea named Joseph. He had himself become a disciple of Jesus going to Pilate. He asked for Jesus' body. Pilate ordered to be given over. In Mark 15, 43, the same thing. A prominent member of the council who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God went boldly and asked for the body of of Jesus. Jesus' body was prepared, you can write this down, for burial and certainly not for a miracle. Death has a way of sucking the life out of us, doesn't it? Or even cemetery-like situations, like my friend losing his job, or someone else being diagnosed with cancer. They covered Jesus with their best gift, but they laid him, verse 42, they laid him there. It's the final scene. And the guards were set. And they were told this, keep the disciples of Jesus out. But nobody told the guards, keep Jesus in. Isn't that great? Now one verse, I looked at all the gospels. And Pilate said to the guards, don't you dare let Jesus come out. Not one of them. They didn't believe that he was going to rise again. You know, when hard times come, when difficult times come, when darkness comes, when a cemetery-like situation comes, it really demands that we look at what we believe. What do we need? What am I counting on? See, here's what we should count on. Jesus is the only hope capable of sustaining a human life through everything. And you might say, easy for you to say, that's a Sunday kind of sermon. But on Wednesday at 2 o'clock or Friday at 4 o'clock, this doesn't really help me, but it should. When everything hits the fan, when darkness veils its love, ugly, unlovely face, its ugly face, we stand in the presence of God and say, God, I know that you're with me. You've not left me. And it happened, John 21, uh, verse 1 records, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, a few scholars say, Probably she went there, remember the third day in Jewish tradition, that the soul hovered for three days? Maybe she went there looking for Jesus, but the story implies that she didn't. Actually, when Jesus speaks to her, she says, you're the gardener. She doesn't even recognize Jesus. Many scholars believe, and I do, that she went to the tomb to pay her respects. She went to the cemetery. To go see the stone, the headstone, the niche wall. She, 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 she went to pay her respects to the one who had forgiven her of her sins. But see, on Sunday, the corpse of Christ became the conqueror of death. Don't wait till Easter to get jazzed about this. Pump yourself up every day. Because the same power that rose Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal body. And you go, I don't feel like it. I know. Stop basing your life on your feelings. Embrace the truth of the Lord. Now, I'm going to ask a question. Uh, you don't have to respond if you don't want to. But I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you have lost a loved one, they've passed away, that you knew was in Christ, that you knew believed Christ? How many of you have lost someone 
that you knew followed Jesus and believed in Jesus? How, how many have? Just raise your hand. Okay, okay, yeah. A lot of you. Now, I have a, 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 something great to tell you. You, you may want to grab on to this, grab, grab a hold of this. Uh, I'm going to flip over to 1 Corinthians 15, 45, uh, 54 and, and 57. When perishable has been clothed with the imperishable. Now, I want you to think about the, the loved one, the friend who passed on. When the perishable, that was this body, right, has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is what? Will come true. Death has been. Where, O oh death, is your? And where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But come on. Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me tell you what I know about your loved one. They are in the presence of God, rejoicing in a place where there's no sin or disease, there's no dementia or Alzheimer's, there's no cancer, there's no cerebral palsy. <laughs> Everybody gets a brand new body. Now, I know we try to take care of these bodies. I know it. Ladies, I know you get that cream out, oil of old lady. I, I know. I've I seen. And man, I watched these infomercials. Just put this on your face. It'll make you look 10 years younger. It'll cost you a fortune. You don't really know what's in it. Fine print, right? And by the way, if it's made in China, be careful out there. And I know we go to, to the gym and pump iron. You know, some of you guys see me there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I take iron. I don't pump it. But anyway. In the last service, there's a gentleman in our church who lost his son at an early age. I looked back at him. He was sitting over there. And I said, sir, your, your, your boy's in the presence of God. The presence of God. Oh, nothing wrong with going to the cemetery. Nothing wrong with putting a blanket on the grass, having a picnic. Nothing wrong with it. But Jesus said this, why do you seek the living among the dead? I, I'm not here. I've risen. And guess what happened to your, your loved one? If they knew Christ Jesus, we know exactly what happened. The moment their heart stopped beating, they went to be in the presence of God, leaving all of you mourning, Grieving, come on, this side of heaven. You know, I think when Jesus called Lazarus, you'll see this video when you get to heaven. I think it'll be there. Jesus calls Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus says, oh, do I have to, Lord? Because Lazarus was really dead, four days. Even Jewish tradition believed that, four days. And he's up there in the presence of God. And Jesus' power called him back to earth. He's up there having a good old time. Worshiping the Lord. No death, no disease. I always add this when I do a service, a moral service. And no taxes. <laughs> uh, and by the way, some of you aren't, aren't going to get what I'm saying. No politicians. <laughs> no, wait a minute. I didn't say politicians don't go to heaven. 
They just don't have any political power when they get there. <laughs> the general, the commander, come on. No power. Why? Because Jesus has all power. So much power that the Bible says in Revelation, he's the light of heaven. We know he's the S-O-N, the son of God, but, but the Revelation says he's the S-U-N, the son of heaven. He's the one illuminating heaven. That's why he could say, I, I am the light. I am the light. When we stand, when we think about our loved ones, we thank God for their lives, but man, I got to tell you, my mom came to the end of her days on this planet. She didn't recognize anybody. She didn't know her favorite preacher anymore. That was me, by the way. <laughs> she held my hand. Some of the last words she spoke to me, and she said, you're the best pastor in the world. <laughs> what can I do for you, mom? She said, let me go see Jesus. I mean, her last words, just think about before she really stopped communicating. Let me go see Jesus. So we prayed, we prayed, we prayed. Hey, by the way, she got her wish. My little Italian mom is in the presence of Jesus. My dad, my German Jewish Christian father, is in the presence of Jesus. My sister, who died at 51 years of age of ovarian cancer, I performed her service in Santa Rosa, California. The church was packed. She was in charge of women's ministries up there at that church, and she wrote curriculum for the women's Bible study. She volunteered in the office. She used to be an executive secretary to a vice president at Lockheed Aircraft, and she was brilliant, and she's working in the office. And so when I went up there to do the, the service, they all looked at the brother, and I'll never forget this dear lady came up to me, and she goes, how can you perform your sister's funeral? I said, well, part of me is grieving, and the other part of me is rejoicing, so we'll go with the rejoicing half. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, my sister is in the presence of God. What's so bad about that? People started clapping. The band started playing worship. It was great. I didn't have to preach very much. It was great. Well, that was a miracle too. I didn't preach very much. <laughs> hey, we need to stop and, and, and say, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. He gives us victory. And I want to say to all of you that raised your hands before, just a reminder that if you've lost somebody who knew Jesus Christ, they are living in the victory that is theirs because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. It's not because of their goodness. It's because of his grace. It's not because of their merit. It's because of his mercy. It's not because of their power. It's because of his promise. Who's our greatest enemy? Somebody says, it's the devil. Well, perhaps. Who's our greatest enemy? Death. And someday, dear ones, just thought I would tell you that Jesus Christ will come to us when we take our last breath. Now, if you go before me, I'm going to say this. And if I go before you, I want you to say this, that when he or she took their last breath, the Lord gave them new life, eternal it started when they came to know Christ, life more abundant on earth, and then when they died, they went to go be in the presence of God. Man, what a deal. And why? Because we have faith in the death, burial, and resurrection. And even the apostle Paul says in Romans 10, we believe he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. You need both parts. Well, he went to the cross. 
He's in the tomb. No, no, he's out of the tomb and he's alive. Now back to the sermon. I got excited, sorry. Jesus cares for those in a cemetery place. Yeah, because in John 20, verse 2, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. By the way, this is John, and he wants us to catch something. And by the way, when you ever read the one that Jesus loved, John's talking about himself. I'm John the Beloved, the one that Jesus loved. Isn't that great? And here's what she said. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where he put him. She thinks grave robbers have stole the body of Jesus. But then down in verse 13, it says, they've, they've taken my Lord away, she says, and I don't know where they put him. At, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. By the way, sometimes when Jesus comes to our cemetery places in life, we can miss him. Because we don't expect to find him in darkness. We don't expect to find him in an ICU or an ER or a CCC. We don't expect to find him in a cemetery, but guess where he is? He's standing right there, and he goes to this woman, and he says, Mary, Mary, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him. I'll go get him. And Jesus called her by name and said, Mary, and she turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, Rabbi, it's you. It's you. I can't believe it. It's you. Now, Mary had been forgiven of her sins by Jesus, and she understood his voice and knew his voice. But I want to tell you what the first recorded act was after Jesus rises from the dead. Now, if I was Jesus and I rose from the dead, I'd run to the city square Look, everybody, it's me. I go to CNN. I go to NPR radio. Come on, MSNBC. I'd interrupt somebody's halftime show. I'm here. The first act of Jesus. Can I tell you what it is? The first act of Jesus is comfort and compassion. He goes to Mary. She's beside herself. She thinks they've stolen the body of Jesus. And yet he goes to Mary. Mary, it's me. He comforts her. He calls her by name. That reminds us in the cemetery places in our own lives. That's what Jesus does. He comes to our darkness and he comforts us. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb, verse 8, also went inside and he saw and, and believed. This is Peter, by the way. Can I tell you something about Peter? He'd seen the miracles of Jesus. He knew about water and the wine. He knew about the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. He knew about the blind man. He watched that blind man put the mud, uh, Jesus put mud in his eyes and wash his eyes. He'd been around Jesus, catch this, but hadn't yet fully believed. John makes it real clear. This was a moment of belief for Peter. This changed his future. This changes life. You could be around Jesus a lot. You could be around the church a lot. You can watch online a lot and miss the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead. That should somehow cause our faith to believe that he can do anything whenever he chooses. It elevated his faith. See, Jesus can turn a tomb of sorrow into a place of hope. Anybody know that experience? Yeah. 
I've seen it happen time and time again. He turned and stepped out of the tomb. That smelly, in a good way, fragrant tomb, 75 pounds of spices. I mean, wow. He walks in there, and what, and what does he see? He sees Jesus made his bed. He folded all his linens nice and neat. He took that which was wrapped around his head, put it where his head had been, nice and neat, to show us a couple of things. We should all make our bed. <laughs> no. To make sure that no one would assume that someone had stole the body. If they came to steal the body, they would have never taken time to unwrap the linen. And if, in fact, they unwrapped the linen, they probably would have just thrown it in the tomb. But Jesus makes sure that every detail is taken care of. Now, if you want to spiritualize, go for it. Because Jesus can take care of every detail of your life, even your future. I love the fact that Jesus can take a a tomb of sorrow and turn it into a place of hope. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. And free those who all their lives... Who were what? Oh, wow. Do you know, according to the writer of Hebrews, there are people that are held in slavery at the fear of their own death. The last thing you want me to talk about for my remaining time is about the day you die. I mean, I know you don't want to hear about it. I just know. I just know. So how about you just take this verse and claim it as your own? God, remove any fear I would have about the day I die. So I can live to the fullest. I can risk. I, I can do what you've called me to do. Because someday, someday, when our lives come to an end, we are going to be able to spend all of eternity in the presence of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago, I ended the service with this passage. Let me read it to you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, and 18. Actually, Let's read it together, and I'll tell you why, okay? This is a passage that encourages each other. Let's read it. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Let's read it again. And so we will, and so we will, yeah. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And those of you that said you've lost loved ones, there's the verse for you too. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Those who followed Christ, number three, believed in the miracle of Christ. The followers now start to believe. I mean, at first, there's fear in their lives. Uh, we find, of course, after the crucifixion of Jesus, the disciples are locked in a room, and the Bible actually says this, for fear of their own lives. For fear of their own lives. But they began to believe. Now, what do we do with all of this? This miracle of Jesus. Well, 2 Corinthians 4.18 gives us a great way to live. We fix our eyes not on what is, but on what is unseen. When you go to the cemetery, or you go to a cemetery place in your life where things feel like it's at a dead end, you can look and examine, and you can say, wow, look how bad everything is. Look, oh, this is so, oh, that's so bad. You can just get absorbed with darkness. 
But listen to what Paul says. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is... Oh, I love that. It's temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. This is your challenge for the week. This is your assignment. Get this verse down, 2 Corinthians 4.18. God, help me to look at things I can't see. That sounds like weird. How do you see something you can't see? Ah, you let the scriptures illuminate your life. The promises of God. Over 3,500 promises in this book for you. The fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead for you. The fact that he wants his power to live in you. Now, if you go forward from here and you say, well, I'm just going to live life the way I've always lived it, you're missing out. Christ wants to give you power from the inside out. And he wants you to look at things that you can't see because what we see is temporary. That's really good news. But what is unseen is eternal. I can't see heaven today. I can't. But I know it's there. And by faith, I believe I will go there someday. I hope not soon. But what would be so bad about that? Somebody says, well, I don't want to. Sounds like a death wish. We're supposed to live our life. Yeah, sure, okay. So when I'm 140 and I go see Jesus, huh? Huh? When you're 208 and you go see Jesus, all eternity is going to kick in. You're going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive on this planet. Now, that's a horrible statement, isn't it? I just made it. It's a horrible statement. I saw a bumper sticker once. You're going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive. That's a horrible statement. It should read this way. You're going to be alive for eternity longer than you're going to be alive on earth. We're going to live forever in the presence of God. Come on. Somebody could get happy about that. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. See, there's good news from the graveside today. The good news is the tomb is empty. The good news is Jesus rose from the dead. The good news is the devil couldn't hold Jesus back, and he can't hold you back. That's good news. The good news is that death has lost its sting. The good news is that the grave has lost its victory. The good news is that we need not fear death anymore. For my resurrection doesn't depend upon me. It does not depend on my good deeds. It doesn't depend on my merit. It doesn't depend on me at all. It depends on Jesus Christ, holy, solely on Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. He promised if we would trust in him that someday we would rise with him. So what I've done is I've staked my entire life on that truth. I have no other hope. I have no other hope. It's true. That's why when we die, we don't plan on staying dead very long. Actually, we won't be dead at all. We'll be alive. What's going to live on? Our soul in the presence of God. What's going to stay here? This. It ain't that great anyway, folks. You know, you'll see me, you'll see me in the morning when I look at myself in the mirror. I have a friend who takes more selfies than anybody I know. They also delete more selfies, too, because, oh, that's not a good one. Oh, that's not, oh, that's good. Ooh. Post it on Facebook. They Photoshop a little bit, you know. 
And they put it up. Oh, look how nice I look. Isn't that great? You will never look as beautiful as when the presence of God and his anointing is on your life. And you will never look as beautiful as the day you stand before him in glory. Man, I, my body's going to be so ripped. It's going to be. <laughs> I'm going to have a six pack. Come on. I'm going to look good. I'll be so handsome in the glory of God. Why? Because I'm going to radiate the glory of God in his presence. And I get to worship the Lord for all eternity. Isn't that going to be great? Somebody says, well, what do, you, what do you do in heaven? Ah, the answer is you rejoice in his presence. Moses was told, don't you dare look in the face of God. Guess what we get to do in heaven? Look in the face of God. Look at his glory. I hope you understand when you get there, you will not miss Lompoc, California. I love living here. You will not miss Vandenberg. You will not miss Santa Barbara County. You won't miss Santa Maria, Solvang, Orcutt, Sandy Net. You will not miss Builton. I promise. It's so nice over there. You won't miss it. Well, we've been in the Caribbean, Pastor. You ever been to, you ever been to heaven? Yeah. Well, I like Hawaii. I like Tahiti. I like, I like Pismo Beach. They got good chowder there. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. You know about the marriage supper of the Lamb? All kinds of food. No calories. No cholesterol. No sugar. No type 2 diabetes. Come on. Someday when we see him, we shall be like him. We're going to walk the streets of gold. Isn't that amazing? That's just amazing. Now, why? Because he rose from the dead for us. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, good luck, buddy. Good luck, friend. And you stand before God. But if you know him, he's going to say, come on in. I prepared a place for you. One of the greatest miracles of all time. Christ died and he rose again. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.